Welcome to The Way Church. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For sermon notes, service times, and more information, check us out online at thewaychurchva.com. Now let's join Pastor Matt Rothy with this week's message. A gospel lesson this morning comes from Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11 will serve as the basis for our sermon this morning. We're going to read the first 15 verses. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, that is John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come? Should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is the one about whom it is written. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet, whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence and violent people have been raiding it. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. Whoever has ears, let them hear. This is the gospel of your Lord. Praise be to you, O Christ. You may be seated. John the Baptist was the end of an era, the last of the Old Testament prophets. John the Baptist was the greatest human being, not just prophet, the greatest person there was. Jesus himself said that. But John the Baptist sat in prison. Why? Well, it's because he faithfully proclaimed God's word. He not only pointed to God, the son of God, and said, look, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, but he also pointed out what it means to live a godly life. 
What happened, you see, was the governor was having an affair. He happened to be having an affair with his brother's wife, and John the Baptist said, you can't do that. And so John went to prison. John went to prison and experienced a time of pain, of doubt, of fear, a time of questions and frustrations. Really a time that's, that's something that all Christians, all thinking Christians will experience at some point in their life. Are you the Messiah? God, are you who you say you are? Or am I here alone? Am I here alone in the prison of my pain, in the prison of my doubts, in the prison of my fears and frustrations? Am I shackled to chains of temptations? Or are you who you say you are? John the Baptist had unmet expectations. Let's talk about your expectations, your questions, and go a step further and talk about your, let's call them identifications. That's what Matthew chapter 11 addresses, and so that's what this sermon's going to address. Expectations, questions, identifications. What we have here is a cautionary tale, a cautionary tale of what happens when unmet expectations lead to unanswered questions. What often happens then? Well, it leads to unknown identities. We have a cautionary tale, and yet we also have one of the most beautiful stories. Here in the gospel, we have the most beautiful story of what happens when those unmet questions are answered. What we end up with is known and owned identities. John had unmet expectations, and so do you. John was, was sitting in prison. Oh, he heard the reports, right? He heard that Jesus made the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk, that the good news of the kingdom of God was being proclaimed. And yet John looked around, <laughs> where's, the, where's the good for, for me? Unmet expectations lead to unanswered questions. I mean, after all, Jesus looked like the Messiah on paper, right? But where was this judgment that, you know, God said he would bring? Isaiah chapter 64 said that the Messiah will come and he will give freedom to the prisoners, release to the poor. Can't John be released from prison? All these good things are happening. Why can't one more good thing happen for at least the faithful prophet, John? So John asked a question. He asked a question via his disciples, a question that, that dealt with the delicate balance or tension between living by faith, by what is unseen, and what do you do when what you see doesn't meet your expectations. He asked the question, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? 
unmet expectations. You have them too. And it's not just like the shallow or, you know, surface level expectations like, oh, I didn't expect to see you here or I didn't expect the movie to end like that. You have real, let's call them unmet messianic expectations. What happened when life throws a barrage of unmet expectations at you and they lead you to question the Messiah, who he is, what he's able to do, his love, his power, his presence, his identity. God, what happened that this past week in our own downtown, what happened to, to cause a 21-year-old to get hit and die by a VRE train? Why is it, God, that it keeps happening that the youngest and the most vulnerable of us are often taken advantage of by those who, are, who you actually, Lord, have called to care for and protect? Lord, why is it that my relationship with you can at once feel super strong and then I see all of a sudden my relationships with everyone else start to either fall apart or they break down because this loved one has Alzheimer's and this one has cancer and still another dies. Oftentimes, unmet expectations happen. Unanswerable questions come up because what we see in our life doesn't meet with what we think God should be doing or it doesn't seem that God is being very godlike at this moment. But sometimes those unmet expectations don't come from things that are as painful or acute as that. Sometimes it's the slow bleed too. Silence of struggle with mental health. The scariness of loneliness. The constant wrestling for the student with maybe learning challenges. That's the same for adult. Lord, why don't you give me the strength, the support that, that you, all powerful and all able, should be able to? And we really haven't even gotten to spiritual expectations yet, have we? That we know what God expects of us to live godly lives, right? And we know that we can expect that his Holy Spirit is with us to empower us and enable us to do that. But what happens when a temptation comes on so fast and so furious that I can't do anything about it? Maybe it's lust. Maybe, maybe it's anger over what someone said that disrespected you. Resentment over someone who seems to be doing better than you. What happens when life throws at you a barrage of unmet expectations that lead you to have questions? Questions about the Messiah. Lord, are, are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? Are you who you say you are, or am I alone in this? The prison of my doubts, fears, and questions, the chains of my temptations, and the pull of that to sin. This is why Matthew chapter 11 is in Scripture. 
It's to engage God's people who experience life this side of heaven, who await for the coming of the Messiah, and yet experience the unmet expectations of when his promises don't meet what we see. Some of you take your unmet expectations and you ask the hard questions. Some of you, in frustration over those unmet expectations, don't give articulation to those questions. Still others of you have those unmet questions, but you don't ask them. You don't ask them, and and maybe it's because of fear of judgment, judgment that happened because at one point or another, someone, maybe a pastor, maybe a parent, or, or some Christian person in your life wasn't warm and welcoming when you ask those questions. And yet, no matter who you are of those, we can't simply take our unmet expectations and unanswered questions and brush them under the rug, whether they are acute and painful or they are, well, from the slow and the, let's call it mundane. We must address these unmet expectations and questions because they're real, and they have real effects on God's people who want to walk by faith. So what do we do with them? Well, we, we ask them. We ask those questions. Maybe, maybe you've never heard it before, but what God's word says to you today is you can. You can ask those questions. How do I know that? Well, Jesus replied, Jesus replied, go back, go back and report what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Do you know a lot of people uh, debate if John the Baptist himself had these unmet expectations and therefore asked this question, or if it was John merely asking this so that his disciples would see Jesus and hear Jesus and then follow him, or if it was both. It's worthy debate and worthy questions to consider, but it misses the point. It misses the bottom line. John the Baptist sat in prison. Yet John knew what to do with unanswered questions. You take them to Jesus. John knew what to do with unanswered questions. You take them to Jesus. We're going to get into Jesus' response in just a second, but for a moment, can we look at his posture or just the, just the reality that he replied to John's disciples in this way? Jesus did not shame them or scold them or offer up some judgment about the condition of the heart or the motivation of their question. No, Jesus knows. Jesus knows that sometimes living this side of heaven, our expectations for what life should be or ought to be like Well, don't match up 
with his promises. Jesus knows that life will throw a barrage of questions or unmet expectations at you that, that move you and get you in order to question the identity of their Savior. And so the Messiah, he doesn't question you or me when you come with your questions. He answers them. More than that, he is the answer. Isaiah, we read it before, said, Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He will come to save you. Your God has come to save you from sin, from death, and the devil. He has come to save you for heaven. But until all of that, he has come to save you from that prison of your questions, of your doubts, of your fears. He has come to save you and release you from those chains of temptation to sin. Your God has come, and he has come, get this, not just being, oh, kind of a nice guy who can, you know, answer a few questions for you, some frequently asked questions. No, your God is not Google. He is God. He is the Messiah. And so he comes as the answer to every single one of the questions that you could possibly ask or imagine. Look, when Isaiah's, excuse me, John's disciples asked the question, are you the one who is to come? They were asking a very specific question using a very specific messianic title, the Messiah, the Christ, the one. They asked it in a way that showed they, they really doubted that it, it could be true. They said, you, are you really the one? And Jesus' response is so heartening. As we said before, he, he doesn't jump down their throats, but instead he just whips out his identification, his ID, and shows him, shows them who he came to be. He came to be the fulfillment of every prophecy and every promise that was ever recorded in scripture. His answer to them was a quotation from God's word, from Isaiah chapter 35, which we read before. Jesus calls them by his word and he points them to his word. He doesn't even answer their question. They ask two yes or no questions. Are, are you the one, yes or no? Should we expect someone else, yes or no? He moves all those aside. He said, look, I'm gonna show you my ID. Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. He came and he said, look, here's who I am. Take a look at my ID. Take a look at my word. I have done everything that I said that I would do. I have claimed to be the Messiah, and I have fulfilled everything the Messiah said he would. I am more than what appears to be. I am the fulfillment of everything that is to be. I am the one who has come to heal those who have leprosy. And I will heal all your sins. I have come as the one to give sight to the blind and give you eyes of faith. I have come to be the one who will make the lame walk and I will walk with you all the days of your life. I am the one who has come to be forever. The one in whom there is no effects of sin forevermore. I am the Messiah. 
Charles Spurgeon is a famous preacher, and he illustrates what Jesus exemplified here so well with a question. He asks the question, how, how do you defend a lion? The answer, you don't. You simply let a lion out of its cage, and he defends himself. Jesus doesn't get offended or defensive when John's disciples asked a question. Jesus doesn't get offended when you ask him questions. He is God. He is bigger than that. How does he defend himself, so to speak? He simply lets his word out. He simply lets his word out and he lets it defend himself. He lets it show you that he is everything he claimed to be. And when you know the identity of the Messiah, then you can know and own the identity that he has given you by his grace. Who has he made you to be? He's made you to be someone who is blessed, someone who is best, and someone who has zest. Let me unpack that. Jesus said this, He said, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Jesus doesn't merely meet expectations. He exceeds our expectations by meeting all of the expectations of scripture. And then he goes one step further and he defines not just who he is, but who you are. He said, you are blessed. Anyone who does not stumble on account of me is blessed. This is the way the kids are saying it these days. Jesus said, don't trip. Like, don't worry. Like, don't trip because of me. Don't, don't worry and stress out when, when things don't seem to be going the way that you think they should be. Blessed people don't trip. They run to God's word and they look and they see who Jesus claims to be. They pour over this and while he might not meet all of our expectations, he exceeds them. He meets all of the expectations of scripture. Blessed people, they don't trip. They don't worry. They don't stress out when they suffer. Because when they suffer, and how they expected life to go doesn't align with what they had hoped, they're able to wait patiently for God who cares for them to come and give them the strength that they need to make all of his will bring about and exceed our wildest expectations of what we could ever hope for, ask, or imagine. Jesus said, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. When you know me, when you know the identity of your Messiah, you can own the identity that he has given you. God's people are blessed and they are best. Here's the way Jesus said it. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in a king's palace. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? 
Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before me. Jesus does a really fascinating thing after he replies to and answers John's questions, John's disciples. He sends them off. He says, you go tell John that I'm the Messiah. You let him know that I am everything that the scriptures claim about me. He sends them off, and and then he starts to talk about John. He starts to talk about John, but not to John's disciples, to the crowd. Why would he do that? Well, it's because he's continuing on to talk not so much about John, but about you. Because when you know the identity of the Messiah, you can own the identity that he's given you. He goes on and tells us some things about John. He says, what? Did you go out to see a reed swayed in the wind? Did you go out and see kind of a weak-willed guy who's kind of just caught up with every new opinion about there is? No, certainly not. You went out to see a prophet who stood on the truth of Christ and pointed to the coming king. Would you go out and see someone who was wrapped up in materialistic things and was found in a king's palace? No. You went out to see one who pointed to the king of kings. And then Jesus does something even more remarkable. After describing John, he says this, Truly, I tell you, among those born of women... There has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet, whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Why does Jesus go into this lengthy discussion about John? It is to talk about him and then point to the fact that you're even greater. God's people are blessed and you are best. How is it that you are better than John the Baptist? Well, certainly we are no better than him in terms of our credibility, our celebrity, or our fame, or our notoriety. We're certainly not better than him because of our lives or anything that we've accomplished. How are you better than John the Baptist? Well, you're better than him. You're best of all in terms of privilege and position because you see everything that John desperately wanted to see. You see the identity of your Messiah. You see that he has come and fulfilled every single promise and prophecy that was ever written about him. You have come to see his identity, and now you can own your identity. How is it that we are the least and yet we're the greatest? Well, your identity is changed when you know Christ's identity. Your identity is something you can own when you know his identity. When you know Christ, you are at once the least, humbled, because we know who we are before a holy God, sinful and deserving of nothing in and of ourselves. We're humbled by the fact that he who had everything would come to give us who had nothing, all his gifts. And yet the moment we're the least, the moment we're humbled, we are also exalted by the one who went into the grave and burst forth and ascended on high to give you all of his gifts and raise you up with him so that as he is seated right now at the right hand of God the Father, so you also are there with him, although 
not yet. You are at once the least and the greatest. God has given you that identity. You're the best, not because of your lifestyle, not because of anything you have accomplished, certainly not because of any intrinsic holiness, but because of our privileged position that we get to see the identity of our Savior, our Messiah, who helps us, well, own our identity that is one that makes us blessed, best, and full of zest. Can I share this with you? This is probably one of my favorite passages because it's so cool and yet nobody knows what to do with it. Verse 12 says this, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subject to violence and violent people have been raiding it. People don't know what to do with this passage because if you go into your Bibles or on your devices, there will always be a footnote or always a little link that you can click on that says, what, is it violently subject to violence or forcefully advancing? But here's the thing, it doesn't matter because it means the same thing. If something is you know, forcefully advancing, what's gonna happen? It's gonna be subject to violence. That's what God, Jesus, is saying about his kingdom. It is forcefully advancing. It is going forward. Our church shall never perish. It is built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. It is always gonna move forward, and yet what do we know? It will be subjected to people who want to see the church fail, who want to see the truth never prevail. It's subject to violence. Violent people will be attacking it. And yet, remember, Jesus is not talking about John the Baptist anymore. He's, he's talking about you, and he says, and you got zest. He says this. He says, prophets and the law prophesied for all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. Whoever has ears, let them hear. You got zest. Why? Because as the kingdom of God is forcefully advancing and is subject to violence, it's moving forward. How is the gospel kingdom moving forward? It says you proclaim the gospel. You own your identity and you know the Messiah and that means you pick up right where John the Baptist left off. John the Baptist was the last Old Testament prophet. He was the end of an era. You, New Testament Christian, are the beginning of a new era who proclaims the gospel of Jesus Christ, his king coming kingdom, that the Messiah has come and he will come again. And that's why you got zest. And you can do that knowing that you are best because of the position that you and I are blessed to see that our Messiah has come. And we don't stumble. We don't trip on the basis of Jesus because we know who he is. And so we pray, come Lord Jesus. Come as Messiah. Come and, and don't meet our expectations, but meet the expectations of what scripture has laid out. Come and be not just the one who answers our questions, but is the answer to every question we could ask. Come, meet all our expectations, our unanswered questions, and help us know your identity so we can own ours. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Amen.